All right. Well, would you take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part nine of our first Corinthians series entitled Practical Faithfulness and I titled this morning's message being faithful to our mates. Um, as you remember, we have been going through some tough material, thus the warning on the front doors. And today we're going to be talking about sex almost the entire time. So if you are sitting next to your mom, sorry about that. All right. Let me just begin by, by saying this, uh, uh, a lot of us look around and I get a lot of forwarded emails and people talk to me about, um, oh my goodness, you know, the, the world is, is so wicked and, and, you know, it's just like the days of Noah and have you heard this story and, oh my gosh, it's just like the ancient world and the fall of the Roman Empire and, okay, you wimps, knock it off. It is not even close. Uh, you want to study ancient culture, you're going to realize how gnarly and nasty it can really get, all right? What we see today is relatively tame and in pockets in comparison to where the world has gone. Uh, the church that is being written to by Paul the Apostle has everything we have maximized on steroid by about a thousand. It is a brutal location, highly, highly sexualized when your primary religions are pushing sex, when your temples have a thousand prostitutes, when you are surrounded by uh, mistresses are the norm of the day, you have adultery, fornication, and prostitution being pushed at all times in public forums as you walk around through the city in an extreme degree. Now you're talking ancient Corinth. Now, obviously, in the days of Noah, it got so much worse than that, that God looked at everyone and said, I'm going to kill everyone. So we are not at that place yet. We need to realize our world can get far more wicked than we ever imagined. However, even today, in our tamed out sexualized culture, in our uh, relatively weak sauce place, right? Where, yeah, is there still a lot of wickedness going on? Of course, of course there is. Um, have we allowed in our society sexuality to be completely distorted and warped and weird and crazy? Of, of course we are. And I think that that has a dramatic effect on our marriage bedroom sex lives. Now, I want to just cite out four things that we need to be aware of, or at least keep in the back of our minds as we begin to sift and sort this out. My closing challenge to you today is, if you are married, I want you to go home and talk about sex. So, you might want to pay attention to the message, because you're going to have something to talk about, and you're going to go, hey, how's that impacting us, and blah, 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 right? All right, so first, I'm just going to give you four things that I see that maybe is impacting our marriages. Uh, first of all, our low view of sex. Remember I told you last week that like Corinth, we've reduced sexuality into a, it's not a big deal thing, right? It's kind of like, Hey, I got a past. I don't really don't want to think about who I had sex with in the past. I mean, I don't even care about those people. It was no big deal. The problem with that is it all pours forward. And then in our married lives, we go, sex is no big deal. We're not utilizing sex for what God intended it for. It's kind of an afterthought or it's a weapon or it's a bargaining tool or it's something to argue about. All these different things are flowing into our marriages, but we're not using it as a bonding agent. We're not using it as grace Within our marriages, we're not using it to heal, we're using it to hurt, and unfortunately, it's distorting what we see. 
The second thing is this. We have body image chaos in our society today. Uh, whether it's magazines or TV or whatever it is, you can't go anywhere without being told what you don't look like, right? Isn't that the truth? Uh, I mean, at all times, uh, anyone that is apparently attractive, they're all on the covers, and you realize if I trained for the next 10 years, I'm not going to look like that. Right. And then, of course, because we are now in the era of technology where there's airbrushing and there is uh, ability to manipulate photographs and everything, even those people actually don't look like that either. So all of us have fallen into this body image chaos. Now, ladies, you have taken the brunt of that hit that our society has pushed so much on ladies, what you ought to be and what you're not and this and that. Already, as human beings, we struggle with insecurity. Already, as human beings, we have a low view of ourselves. But now society has piled on that, absolutely destroyed our self-esteem. And now when we walk into the bedroom, the idea of exposing ourselves, being around that, having that be a focus is horrifying and we put up walls. It is not just women. It is also men where men look and they go, you know what? I'm not the dude with a six pack or apparently that guy has an eight pack and that dude has a 12 pack. And I didn't even know you had 12 of them in there. And you know what I mean? I mean, guys as well, they look and they go, I don't feel good about myself, man. I'm not, I'm not where I was back when I was 20 and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if I feel like... All that stuff impacts and backflows into our marriages. Third thing, TV, Hollywood, and porn, yeah? TV, Hollywood, and porn, instead of getting into all those details of the matter, here's the deal. It's absolutely ratcheted up expectations of what sex should be. And it's distorted it in a way where it leaves our marriage bedrooms full of disappointment. So, for example... Uh, in the chick flick, the guy is all about the woman, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's the idea. I teach this in my premarital counseling class. Uh, anybody ever heard about the Twilight movies, right? The Twilight, oh, you know, it's, this, it's vampires are super romantic and sexy, right? It's like, what? What the heck? Did, where did that come from, right? Anyway, I thought they were just dead people. Whatever, all right, with sharp teeth and okay. Well, anyway, the very central focus of that story is that a young girl who doesn't feel awesome about herself has a good-looking guy that his whole focus is her. All the central power of love is directed towards her. She's the center of his world. And girls just go, oh my gosh, that's awesome. All right, ladies, real quick, it's a distortion. If that really happened in real life, he's actually a stalker, right? <laughs> The other funny thing is he doesn't have a job, and right? Because all he does is just sit there and stare at you while you sleep, you know, and you're like, oh, weird. Okay, so whether or not it's, it's a chick flick stuff or you slide over to the idea of porn, man, she's all into it, and how come you're not into it, and blah, 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 blah. And all this stuff gets ratcheted up to where uh, no matter what your sexual experience is, even if it is God's best, somehow you're, you're expecting left field, and, and it's not going to get there, and so you're always bummed out. And then that ends up going, you know what, forget it then. And our sex lives deteriorate. The final thing is that because of all the different chaos that we've been involved in uh, from the moment that we got started into this whole walk, we have so much unresolved hurt and so much anger 
that uh, ultimately we all realize that our sex lives flow out of our normal lives. So if I don't like you regularly, I certainly don't want to have sex with you, right? And we don't realize that all our unresolved anger and hurt and bitterness, we now use sex as a weapon. We now use it uh, as a negative communication tool, and it's just falling apart. What we're going to find out today as Paul tackles this issue head on is the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. Take a look at that. It's this. Our bodies are not our own. Our bodies are not our own. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus already purchased your body. He owns you. If you are married, then your spouse actually owns you. You don't even own you. And so no matter how you look at it, your bodies are not your own. And the more and more we can wrap our minds around that, we can start to clarify some of these things because we're so wrapped up in our own heads. All right, last thing. Let me do one last disclaimer before we dive into some context stuff. If you are single today and you have a desire to be married, you feel like you've just fallen into preaching hell, right? Why? Because, hey, let's talk about married people having sex all morning. And the single people are like, seriously? Just drive a stake through my head, right? Okay, let me explain something. Here's the fact. The fact is, if you desire ever to get married, you need to know this information now because all the rest of us are having to unlearn and then learn. So I need you to know the information ahead of time. The other thing is, if you do not feel that you're going to be called to be married or do not have a desire to be married or you're completely content being single, what you're going to find out is right in the middle of this passage where we're talking about all this other stuff, Paul is going to tell you that you are absolutely in the center of God's will, that everything is awesome, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus, you don't become better or more just because you get married, and you're going to find your singleness absolutely affirmed right here, right now. You're in the right service. I can tell you that it will be a little bit awkward at times. I get it. However, keep paying attention. Keep listening because God has you in his sights as well. Turn with me to first Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. As you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. But as you're turning there, let's recap. Paul has been addressing some significant issues that this young church, maybe only five years old. This, all these young baby Christians in a very hardcore area trying to figure out what life is all about. They've been trying to sort out Christianity. And so they wrote their original pastor and they said, hey, we have some questions for you. We don't know what to do about this, this, and this. Some of our crew is telling us this. I don't think that's right. The other half of our crew is telling us this. I don't think that's right. Paul, can you help us navigate? Can you help us walk through these difficult issues? So Paul writes back this letter and he says, absolutely, let me address a few things. We must realize we are opening up 2,000-year-old mail. That's what the Bible is in the New Testament. If you go Old Testament, it's even older mail. So if we're going to open up 2,000-year-old mail, blow off the dirt, right, and then say, what was their mindset at the time? If you don't understand the Greco-Roman world, you don't understand New Testament. You go, I'm not really into history. Too bad. You have to be into history. All right? So what we find is a lot of Paul relating with these people is dealing with Greco-Roman viewpoints. And as I told you last week, they had a view that the body was nothing. The body was nothing. The spirit was everything. 
that allowed two camps to develop. One extremist camp said, if the body is nothing, let's party. Right? That was last week. Right? That's when we got into the whole adultery, fornication, all that stuff. The other camp that slid to the other side said, if the body is nothing, then crush it and get it out of the way. It's only a problem. That's the camp Paul is about to address now. Because people in Corinth, a certain grouping was saying this body, the whole sex thing, whatever you want to say, food, sex, any of that stuff to do with the body is getting in the way. It's damaging our spirit. Shut it down. I don't care if I'm married. I don't care if I'm not married. Get all that garbage away from me. I don't want anything to do with sex inside a marriage or out. And it was beginning to damage relationships within the marriage context. Paul now has to go back and go, you guys, you're so stinking extreme. What is wrong with you? All right, stop going to these wild, crazy camps. Hold on a second. There's a better way to do all this. All right, let's take a look. I'm just going to read, let's see, verse 1 through 9, then we'll pray for the word and we'll get started. Here we go. Paul said this. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, saying it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you. Because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each one has his own gift from God. One is one kind, one has another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are wading into a territory that... That this world, led by Satan's charge, has absolutely distorted for us. Lord, uh, as much as I've been in your world, uh, as much as I have been in your word, I have also been so distorted by that of society. Lord, I have no clue what's going on. May you guide us into all truth. Would you begin to unpack and unsort the twisted wreckage? that we are faced with, and would you make it a peaceful, wonderful, beautiful plan? Renew yourself in us. Renew our eyesight. Give us new perspective in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's do this. Let's slide back to verse 1. Now, concerning the matters about what you wrote, and then you'll notice in the ESV, it has quotations around the next sentence. That is not in the Greek. That is the ESV's way of saying that most scholars believe that the next statement that is made was made by Corinth in their letter to Paul. He's reflecting back their phrase. He's not saying it. They're saying it. And then he's going to comment on it. It is what? It is good for a man not to would have been easier if you just said, it's not good for a man to, right? That would have been a lot easier. No, we have to do the Yoda line, right? It's, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's the Greek. 
it's not good to touch a woman. That's what they were operating off of. Now you go, well, why would they write that back? Why was that their belief? Why would they be so strong about saying, don't touch a woman? Now, I don't know how many of you still are tracking on the, the NIV for years. For over a decade, we studied the NIV together. Anybody have the NIV still? Raise your hand. Okay, in yours, it says it is not good for a man to marry Right? And it has the word marriage in there. That is not in the Greek. To touch a woman is a euphemism for sex. The way that the Jews would write, they're very cautious about talking about sex. They would skirt around the issue. They would hit it hardcore, but they would not say certain words out of respect and modesty. And right here, what you have is a blatant reference to sex. So... Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sex with a woman. Now, he said, I get your phrase. And last week, we talked about the fact of fornications and all that stuff and prostitution. And you'd go, all right, so the Bible's anti-sex. Paul's anti-sex. All right, I got that. Fine. No more sex. He's like, hold up. That's not what I said. Because of the temptation... Verse 2, temptation from who? Satan? The world? The flesh? What are we talking about? Well, I don't know all of it, right? I mean, I have no idea where temptation comes from. I'm not smart enough to sort it out. Here's the part that I think that is kind of funny, and the Bible's kind of to blame, so I'm going to blame God. However, is that we all tend to have this thing like, Satan is tempting me to lust. All right, I'm going to tell you this. From my studies and examinations, Satan can only be in one place at one time. Now, he's super fast. However, I do not believe that his great goal in life is to hang out in Rockland and make sure that you lust. I'm quite certain he has more important things to do than that. All right? Now, he may launch out demonic forces, right? So if we have governments fighting each other, you know, Al-Qaeda is saying that the government is the problem. And, it, it, well, I don't know. It's currently the SEAL team trying to kill you. I think that's your current problem, right? But we say Satan's doing it, but ultimately it's what he's organizing that's trying to destroy you. But I will tell you this. It's more likely... That the demons don't have to do a whole lot. We are very capable of chaos all on our own. I mean, literally, if the devil checks in, hey, demon number 105, right? Hey, man, how's it going down there? He's like, dude, I haven't even touched the guy, and he is a mess, right? I'm just sitting here watching him melt down, right? And I keep, you know, I almost feel bad for the guy because I was about to tempt him, and I'm like, oh, you are messed, man. I don't know where the temptation comes from. I don't know, but it's a temptation. And he says in this area, temptation towards sexual immorality, anything that's outside of God's desire for sexuality. We have a bent towards that. Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Well, first of all, you can go, that's straight up monogamy right there, right? I mean, he just put out a mandate. It's not polygamy, it's monogamy. And a lot of us go, you know, this is weird, but if, if you read the Old Testament... All those like early fathers, they all had like multiple wives. When did that stop, right? You're seeing a lot of those mandates being locked down, but it's a little bit more subtle than you might imagine. He just locked it down right there. But here's the big question. It's almost, if you don't know the context, it almost feels like Paul is saying, all right, because you guys are so screwed up, I guess you should get married, whatever. 
that doesn't sound like a very healthy view of marriage. It doesn't sound like, well, I don't know, you can either burn in hell or get married. That's, I mean, if we start buying that idea, I mean, imagine what happens when singles meet each other. It's like, all right, you know what? I don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go to hell. Let's just do this thing, right? I mean, I don't even like you, but whatever. Why is Paul so seemingly down on marriage? Uh, you know, he's going to say here in these passages 11 times a reference to be single. Why is Paul seemingly so negative? Well, first of all, what you cannot do in Scripture is pull out one passage and go, this is all Paul's teaching on marriage. It's actually not. Is it a significant one? Yes. But do you realize he talks about marriage in Ephesians? He talks about marriage in Timothy. He talks about marriages in other passages. If you're going to study a topic, please consult the whole counsel of God on a matter. There, if you read in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, he tells widows, young widows, you need to go get married. He literally encourages them to go get married. In 1 Timothy 5, he said, if you, the forbidding of marriage is a sign of the end times. So it, that's not what he's trying to do here. We have to understand the context. Why would he be pro-single if God's mandate that was originally set down was Adam and Eve, it's not good for man to be alone, be fruitful and multiply, blah, 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 right? Why would he be pro-single after you know all that? Well, scholars kind of all separate out on this, and they all have little debates and everything. I'm going to tell you that it's probably a little bit of all three. So the first one is this, and we can kind of run through these real fast. First of all, for whatever reason, Paul was absolutely convinced that the return of Jesus Christ was imminent. He writes like it could happen that night. He will talk like, you know what? Jesus is on his way right now. He's arriving in about 20 minutes. And the whole time he's like, get your stuff in order, right? And it was this, now we're 2,000 years later. And you're like, Paul, you kind of missed the boat on that one. No, he did exactly what the Holy Spirit indicated to do. Because at any time Jesus Christ can return and you need to be in that mindset. That was Paul's mindset. With that mindset, is marriage really your primary task? No, Jesus, his return Sharing the gospel, doing the work of the kingdom is actually your primary concern. Okay, let's take the second one. What about persecution? Nero has just now come on the throne. Persecution is starting to amp up. And although this may not be a huge one, I will tell you in pockets, it's massive. We live in La La America, modern day, where our biggest persecution is, someone made fun of me at work, right? That's about all we got. You want to go to other parts of the world where people are killed every day for their faith, this book will make a lot more sense. Let's play a quick scenario, right? All right, so we're going to... Casey, I'm picking on you because you're sitting in the front row. So, so sorry, Case. All right, so Casey, um, let's say, for example, Casey's married. So Crystal, pick a name, a girl name for Casey to get married to. Juanita. Juanita. Yeah. All right. So you got a Latin babe. All right. Here we go. Here we go. So Casey and Juanita 
are married. Now, let's say, for example, we're, we're sitting in church. Juanita's not with you. And some gunmen come flying through the door, and they put a gun to your head, and they say, Casey, deny Christ right here, right now, or I'm going to blow your brains out. That's going to be a challenge, right? Now, we've all played that scenario in our head, probably, and we go, how would I handle that? And then maybe let's say Casey's tied in with the Lord, he's abiding in Christ, he feels very strong, he's pumped up, and he will be able to say no. And they take him out. That's one thing. Then let's use another scenario. Juanita's here with Casey. They burst through the doors and they put a gun to Juanita's head. And they look at you and they say, you're going to deny Christ or not? I'll blow her brains out right now. Is that harder or easier? You have a two-year-old. Gun to the two-year-old's head. You're going to deny Christ? What are you going to do? Harder or easier? If indeed persecution is amping up, ramping up, and becoming to this crazy, scary place, you want to go get married? Is that what we're going to do? We're going to start a family, right? Because now we're all going to die? Got to watch the context, guys. Third thing, maybe it's just wholehearted devotion. Maybe Paul is dreaming of a world where people are more interested in Jesus and relationships. Maybe Paul said, you know what, I'm all in. It's all Jesus all the time. And I wish that everybody would be like me about the fact of, I don't want the drama. Man, I don't want this whole thing. Well, my wife is doing this, and my husband, and then he won't mow the lawn, blah, 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 right? I mean, it's this whole thing. He's like, I don't want any of that stuff. I want to just be focused on advancing the kingdom of God. I want to be free. I want to be able to move. If God calls me to Macedonia, guess what? I drop everything. I go to Macedonia. I don't got to get my wife on the plan. I don't got to have God go give her a vision, too. I just got to go move. I don't want to move kids from one, you know, one school district to another school district, right? I don't need all that heat. I just want to do what God asked me to do. And why can't we all be in that mindset, he said. By the way, side note, that is the primary view of the Catholic faith. Why they have their priests not married. A lot of us look as outsiders and we look and we go, man, that's totally stupid. And they're looking at it going, hold on a second, we're being Pauline is actually what we're doing. And let me express to you that if we're going to put somebody in charge of our flock, we want them all in. We want them totally focused. We don't want to deal with that other garbage. So we're going to request of him that he is going to say, listen, are you in or not? I mean, you're signing up for something very, very important. Are you going to be all Jesus all the time? Now, that's the pro, right? That's a very positive. That's a beautiful calling to believe. Now, the cons we can see from the outside, which is, is that an undue pressure? It, because the Bible doesn't actually mandate it. Is it an undue temptation? Does it screw up the pool of people who are willing to sign up for that? Do you understand what I'm saying? We've all watched the difficulties of it. But instead of just casting stones, can you understand and appreciate why they would have a desire and a heart to do that? It's a noble reason. All right, we pick it up. It says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, because of the fornications, I mean, you remember mistresses, prostitution everywhere. The Greek and Roman mindset was, hey, my wife, that's about home. If I want to talk about sex, I'm talking about another woman. Because of the fornications, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. What I love about that is that Paul doesn't force his calling on everybody else. Paul goes, I'm single, but I'm not telling everybody has to be single. 
That's not what God said. Some of us, that's a sign of immaturity, by the way, that your particular calling is now on everybody else. Everybody should be doing what God's asking me to do. Grow up. That's not right. God may have them on a whole whole different path, right? The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. What's that mean? Sex, right? Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're talking about it in church. Where are we going to talk about it? Right? If we're not talking about what? Oh, you're going to let your friends tell you? They're stupid. You're going to let TV tell you? They don't have your best interest in mind. All I'm telling you is that the Bible's talking about it. Let's talk about it. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Whenever people say, you know, the Bible's anti-sex, I'm like, you're not reading it. Let's combine Paul's teaching with Solomon's teaching. Here's what we got. Have sex, have it often, don't stop, be creative. That's the Bible, right? For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his body, but the wife does. What's the point of that? There is an inability to lord over another person in the bedroom. It's impossible. It gets completely nullified. There is no such thing as domination, forcing. There is no such thing as weapon and withholding. There is no such thing as nastiness and meanness. All that is removed because you don't control you. You go, I control them. Yeah, but they control you and that nullifies everything. It is a mutual submission. It is a we're all on the same page. There is no place for fear in the bedroom. There is no place for antagonism in the bedroom. All that is removed by this plan, this law. You know, the other intriguing piece that was found out uh, as I did some research is that the Roman view of the time was so low of marriage. Marriage was a matter of responsibility. As I told you, they would look outside for sexual fulfillment. As a matter of fact, Ovid, uh, a Roman poet who wrote during this exact same time that Paul was writing this, had this quote. There can be no erotic pleasure between husband and wife because it's a relationship of duty. There's nothing in a marital bedroom. The Bible absolutely goes right against that and says that is not true. That is where it needs to be housed. And yes, erotic pleasure and joy should rise up within marriage. That is contrary to society. So the Bible always went countercultural. Pick it up in verse 5. Therefore, if all this is true, do not deprive. That's present tense, meaning they were doing it. Do not continue depriving one another. Do you understand the word deprive means robbery? Stop stealing from your partner what is rightfully theirs. Well, that's crazy. Do not deprive one another. And then he goes, all right, I get it, whatever. Maybe there's some, an, some time when you guys are supposed to chill out, right? Except perhaps by agreement for a limited time so you can devote yourselves to prayer, right? Where it's almost like, oh my gosh, we're having so much sex. We've got to stop and pray. <laughs> all right. I mean, that's cool. That's cool. I can't even focus. <laughs> oh, all right. Hey, praise God, brother. He says right after that, then come back together again, right? Hurry up and have sex, right? So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here's the bottom line. Satan is trying to destroy you and he's going to look for any foothold. So if we have absolutely destroyed, unhealthy, 
sex lives, Satan has a foothold and he will maximize that and try to ruin you. He will use it to divide your marriage. He will use it to cause animosity. And we don't want that. So a lot of us will go, you know what? We put that away in our marriage a long time ago. We fought about it for the first 35 years. I'm not fighting about it anymore. That's done. I'm just telling you right here, right now, that's not biblical. Because the Bible is saying you're giving the enemy extra temptation power, and I don't think you need to be doing that. It's just going to hurt you. Pick it up in verse 6. Now, as a concession, not as a command, I say this. Say what? It actually bounces back to verse 2. What he's saying is, I'm telling you, I'd love for you guys to be single, but if you've got to get married, that's cool. That's fine. I'm not commanding you to get married. I'm just saying, if you need to, if you want to, right on. Praise God. He said, I wish that all were as I myself am. How's that? What was Paul? Well, we know by verse 8 that Paul was single when he wrote this. Was Paul always single? It is not likely. No. So what happened? Well, why, why do we believe that Paul was married at one time? There's, there's some significant reasons. First of all, Paul was very clear that he was an advanced Jewish man, meaning that he was at the level of rabbi, Pharisee, those kind of guys. He said, above all other guys, I advanced in Judaism. I nailed everything down. Well, you have to understand, Pharisees, all those guys, the Jewish law, marriage was a mandate. You were married at 18. Men were married at 18. If you're going to be a good Jewish guy, you got married by 18. You rolled forward. Why? Because God said, be fruitful and multiply and all that stuff I said before. The Jews actually had commentary that they wrote down that said stuff like, you have crushed your lineage if you don't get married. You will be expelled from heaven if you don't get married. I mean, they were so extreme on it. You think that Paul, the apostle who's super advanced, wasn't married? There's also a reference in Acts that it says, and I cast my vote against the Christians. If he really means that literally, then he would have to be part of the voting body of the Jewish people, which is the Sanhedrin. You can't be on the Sanhedrin council without being married. There's other reference. There's a reference in Romans that some people question. Maybe that's a reference to Paul's former mother-in-law. That's kind of loose. I think that's kind of weak. Whatever. The bottom line is, if you are a solid Jew, you're married. So Paul was married. What happened? You only have two options. Either Paul's widowed or Paul's divorced. Those are your only two choices. Oh, Paul would never get divorced. Hold on. I didn't say he selected it. Widow is more likely that his wife passed away for whatever reason. However, because of his radical conversion, it is also highly likely that his wife left him. Because when you are going all hell-bent one direction and you completely flip-flop over and her whole world is Judaism and you decide to have a vision from God and now you're a Christian and you're going crazy that direction, she may well have bailed out. We don't know. Uh, a couple other things that you need to think about marriage of the day in order to read some of these. Uh, the young age, um, the lower end of marrying age for girls in that day and time was 12. So when he refers to virgins or the unmarried that have never been married, he's going really young. So whenever you hear Paul refer to that, and you're like, yeah, that's totally me. I don't think so. <laughs> if you're 12, it's you. Right? 
I mean, it's, you have to read these things within context. Uh, another commentary mentions slave marriages. Remember, the early church was full of slaves. And the way that slave marriage worked is that you were only married as long as your master allowed you to. If your master sold your wife, you're not married anymore. You're now divorced. So there was a lot of divorced people in the early church because marriages were constantly being split up by masters. So you got to factor in that. The other thing was the divorce rules in Roman society. In upper Roman society, this was the rule of the day. A widow was expected to remarry within a year. A divorcee was expected to marry within six months. You immediately go right back into marriage. Why? Four factors. Number one, family property laws. You'll lose it. You can't just be single. Two, you're expected to have at least three kids or more. And so if you didn't have that, you had to hurry up and get going again. Uh, Number three, you have a higher status if you're married in society. And number four, low life expectancy of women. Women in that day were living only 20s and 30s, and then they would die. Uh, Largely, that expectancy rate was because of uh, death and childbirth. So understand, when all that is happening, they would then remarry again. All right, let's bounce back to it. It says, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God. One is one gift, one has another. All right, let me put a few of you at ease. Every single person that desires to get married is scared out of their minds they have the gift of singleness, right? Oh, God gave me that gift. I don't want that gift. That's terrible. I I, I hope he gave me the receipt. I want to return it, right? (laughs) The gift of singleness is the gift of being content and single. That's the gift. The other one's called a trial. Right? Trials are hard. They're supposed to be difficult. Right? You may be going through a trial. You may be having to carry a cross you don't want to carry. You may be wrestling through challenges. But God didn't force a gift on you. A gift is that you're completely cool with that. You're absolutely peaceful and go, you know what? I got my mind. I'm so bent on Jesus stuff over here. A man would just get in my way. Whatever that is. It says, to the unmarried and the widows, verse 8. Who are the unmarried? You go, well, he's talking about virgins. No, he's not. Those are later. Who are the unmarried? It's the single of all sorts, including widows, divorced, and so on. It's that whole crew. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. Now, here's what's intriguing. It actually doesn't say burn with passion in the Greek. It says burn. And so the early church fathers split out on this. Burn in judgment, burn in hell, burn in passion. They didn't know. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, believed that it was burn in hell. And so he would say it's better to get married than burn in hell. And this was his answer. This makes me smile. He wrote around AD 200. He said, the answer is, find and marry an aged, pious widow who will not rouse any passion. (laughs) That was his answer. He's like, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to go ahead and... You're like, that's your answer? All right, whatever. Um, A better translation, a better read, a better understanding is it's better to marry... Uh, then be constantly tempted and tore apart and give Satan a foothold to constantly torture your spirit. That's, that was his point. 
All right. Okay, so what's the whole point in all of this? You just watched Paul, if you are single, you just watched Paul absolutely clearly demonstrate that marriage is a liability. And for so many of us, when we are single, we say phrases like, if I only had a spouse, it would solve this. I just want to tell you that the number one complaints that I hear from married people are the fact they're married. It's not going to solve your problems. You are whole in Jesus. Do you want to get married? Awesome. That's great. Let's be wise and let's build towards that and figure that thing out. Do you have to be married? No. Are you a less class citizen in the church if you're not? No. Is God somehow damaged you if you're not? No. Paul the Apostle is one of the most effective ministers of all time, and he's not married. And he's telling you, if you are single, praise God. And if you're only single for a short amount of time, maximize that time, because the whole rest of your life, you're going to be married and be dealing with those challenges. But if you are married, what is he trying to say in all this? He's trying to say, stop giving the bedroom over to the enemy. Stop allowing your sex life to create damage and destroy between the two of you. Figure it out. Get the help you need. Sort it out. Get advice. Find out what's going on. Because talk about this stuff. Have communication. Get this healthy. Because otherwise, you're having so much pain that you don't need. Once again, Jesus Christ said... I'm in your life that you'd have joy and that you have it to the fullest. He is very interested in our hearts being light, not weighed down. Let's close with a prayer and I'll give you the closing challenge. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. That Lord, that you would walk us through a passage like this and that you would call us into account or convict us on all kinds of crazy stuff. Lord, there are so many of us that are convinced that whatever season we're in, it's the worst. Lord, if we're married, we're mad about being married. If we're single, we're mad about being single. And, and Lord, the truth of the matter is, from the way I see your word, it don't matter. You're great all the time. And so, Lord, may we count our blessings. Would we be content with the calling that you have upon us right now? And may you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Closing challenge is this. If you are married, go home and talk about sex. If you are single and you desire marriage at some point, we have cards out on the table out there. I want you to write a purity covenant between you and God, because here's the truth. You're married to Jesus right now, and that means you are not to honor anybody else with your sexuality other than Jesus Christ until Jesus Christ hands you off at that altar. Yeah? That's how we're going to roll it. Have a wonderful day.